Hello. Welcome to the show, LE2B. I'm Tom McCaffrey. I'm here with Eric B., Eric Bronstein. Um, before we start, please buy my book, Born Funny, a comics chronicle through the alt, uh, the rise of alt comedy. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a bunch of stuff. Um, and uh, also, I'm having a like a book release show, comedy show, to kind of kick it off on March 5th. At seven thirty at Pianos downtown on right off Rivington, and uh, Eric Bees is on the show. Mm-hmm. So and a couple other is uh, Vanessa Jackson might be on it. From, yeah, she said she she would do it. So from SNL, yeah. right? She writes for SNL, and then a couple other people. So check that out. Also, uh, please do, donate to our Patreon because um, uh, that helps us keep the show going. So anything you can donate on our patreon at la2b and you can get bonus content there so we would appreciate any small donation or anything okay and um did you hear that oh go ahead i was just gonna say also our sponsor silk city hot sauce go to silkcityhotsauce.com and use uh la2b as your um promo code and you get a a 15 percent discount so check that out check all that out well i just yeah, no, the the theme, the music, there, playing music. Do you know what that was? No, I, I was trying to let let it play a little bit, but um, no, it's the theme song to The Last of Us, which is a new show on HBO. That's I don't really love zombie stuff, but I, it's I like this show. It's pretty good. Um, I don't know. I enjoy it more than Walking Dead, but I don't know. Walking Dead was on for like twenty seven years, so. Yeah, I never, I never got into The Walking Dead. I just felt like it was just the same. What can you really? Where can you really go with it? This one, I guess, what kind of turned me off. I watched the first episode. Was you know, it's based on a video game, and that was already kind of one strike. I'm like, okay, that's. Yeah, I didn't. I was not familiar with the video game, so like the nerds are like, oh, this is different from the video game. I'm like, well, if you want to play the watch the video game, play the video game. I don't understand. Yeah. What do you, well, they're not going to make it the same. Then why would you watch it? You know? Yeah. I'm just waiting for the Pac-Man um, series <laughs> on HBO. Um, they, actually, they actually did it like a, a parody of it on Saturday Night Live because that Pedro Pascal, who's the star of the show, he's really good. He's blowing up. That guy is in everything. He's like in every movie. And uh, they did it like their own parody of like Mario Kart, like a serious yeah, Mario Kart. I saw that. That was yeah. funny. Um, but he's been, you know what movie he was also in? He was in the, um, apparently he's on that Mandalorian show, which I don't know, but he's the also Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, he was funny. Did that. you see that? Yeah. I like that movie. I thought it was good. I, I didn't, I didn't really know what to expect, but it was, it was really it was good. good. It was played to his strengths perfectly, you know? It did. And do you, did you read the behind the scenes where Nicolas Cage wouldn't do it for so long? Cause he was. Sort it's sort of like he thought I was making fun of him, and it was sort of offensive. I feel like that happens all the time. These guys, they take themselves so seriously, so they kind of like shoot themselves in the foot. Where it's like that, you know, Nicholas Cage is just for the last twenty years, hasn't he? Just you have a joke about it, right? Where it's like every movie he does is just the worst movie. Yeah, and like well, but- he just does like thirty movies a year. Well, now he's done because he had all that money problem. I think it was IRS things. And so then I think he started just being in every movie to pay off bills, you know, and I think that's kind of hurt him in a way because he would just be in everything. And then so but it's like this one was an actual like like well thought out. Yeah. Clever take on him. And it was I mean, it was it was funny. And it, but it, I mean, it was sort of it was just kind of making light of him. But 
I don't know. You're you're not you're not going to do that, but you're going to do fucking Ghost Rider Ghost Seven, Rider Eight, or something. Yeah. yeah, it's just you know the national, not National Treasure. What, what was he in? Wasn't he in National Treasure? Was yeah, that, yeah, that was. Him. Oh yeah, National Treasure. Um, so yeah, it's like you know, oh, I I I wouldn't do it for so long. I thought it was you know really stupid. Like okay, that's uh, and then you know it always ends up being the only good thing they've done. But didn't he play himself in another movie adaptation? Did he play himself in that movie? No, he plays um, Charlie Kaufman, the writer oh, right. guy okay. who who wrote who wrote it and wrote and I think he directed it and right. um, who wrote um, being John Malkovich. That right. was kind of the, I feel like that was sort of the beginning of you know it was like after the millennium or around the millennium where like pop culture things started shifting, like became a lot more self aware. You know, right. know that where it was like people were playing themselves and it was kind of about entertainment and it was like behind the scenes and. Um, yeah, they said a lot of that might have started from the Larry Sanders show where, you know, we always take it for granted now where these actors play themselves, but like a, an exaggerated version of themselves. They said that was really kind of where that started on the Larry Sanders show where he would have they would have guests on playing themselves, but they would play like douchey versions of themselves or maybe accurate versions of themselves. Who knows? Yeah. And actually, Seinfeld early on was one of the earliest. um examples that they, they, where they um did that that kind of the self-aware like showing behind the scenes like when they right. did the the episodes of them doing the show right on the show that was like a very um unique and prescient thing like no one had done that before right. and then everything kind of became that um so it kind of it kind of makes sense like of course larry david is like ahead of the curve with right did it kind of before everyone uh but yeah, so it was it was good. I I've been watching. So Last of Us this was a big thing I heard about it. The, the second or third episode got all this attention because it was more kind of like focusing on like a relationship between the these two dudes. Right. So it was uh Nick Offerman and then the other guy uh, who was the guy uh, I think his name was Mur I I think his name is Murray in real life, but anyway, he was the guy from White Lotus in the original Armand. Yeah, he's in everything now too. He's yeah. in the Chippendales movie. Oh, is he? Yeah. So they um you know, they they were just focused on their relationship and uh you know, there were some heavy sex scenes like where kind of like the video game, right? <laughs> <laughs> that video game where the two dudes two dudes have sex. So I was talking to some people who felt uncomfortable about it. I had no problem with it. I thought it was fine, you know. But they Was it they graphic? Were, it was a couple of well seeing like Nick's uh um Ron Swanson you know Ron Swanson because he he basically yeah. plays a character that's just like Ron Swanson you know and he's um you know he's doing he's making out with a guy so I guess people took people aback and I was telling some people I'm like but that's what straight actors like to do because it's like chasing it's chasing awards in a way you know and it's like it's almost like the more gay stuff you do like the more awards you'll get like eventually you know, like dustin hoffman will just be blowing somebody in the movie you know <laughs> is get... that is that true is that a recent thing or um i think it's just people you know hollywood likes those people who do those roles those chancy roles and uh showing it's funny it... if you do if you play a role that's gay and there's some like you know some sort of graphic sex in it, then you get awards. But if you go all the way and just do gay porn, <laughs> you're just like, get at it. You'll never work again. 
You're like, it's like, no, I'm actually going further. I'm actually blowing, dude. I'm really doing it. Like, yeah. Whatever. You're but not you're, good. But you're not doing it on HBO. That's the problem. You have to do it on a, on a prestige network. So right. And it's like, know. is it is it harder to not be a gay guy and go and actually blow dudes and act like you like it on on film, <laughs> or to just pretend like you're gay and then? Yeah, I think really it's, have to do the gay sex. I think actually doing the gay sex should get the Emmys and the Oscars. I feel like that's more work. Is it me? Also, I don't know. No, it would it would attract a, you know a lot more um, families to watch that. It become more of a family show if every <laughs> award was just hardcore gay sex. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I think even now, um, and our, uh, we have a guest coming in in a second. Uh, I think even now, like maybe. The actor, like the director, will always want to probably push it and go to the actor. Hey, you want to just make out with this guy or, you know, grab his cock? And maybe the actor is probably like, he doesn't want to seem homophobic. So, yeah, I'll do that. I'll totally do that. You know, you want, yeah. me, to, you want me to blow the guy? Whatever, you know, because they want to seem like they're you're being serious about their role. So, yeah. Um, yeah, totally. I guess that that is a thing that's. People have become a lot more comfortable. I feel like like years ago, if you played a gay character, it could really hurt your career. They'd be like, you'll never work again. Right. But, I mean, even if you see Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, which was a groundbreaking role, I don't think they ever kiss in the movie. They don't even kiss. I think there's no. one scene where Antonio Banderas is like kissing his hand, you know, uh, yeah. but that's it, you know. And think how we've how much we've changed in forty years and forty yeah, years from now. Like, so I'm saying you're going to see it just like fucking it's just anal on TV, and they'll be like, <laughs> "This is well, I hope Oscar so. buzz." <laughs> There's a lot of Oscar yeah. buzz. Yeah, that is funny, man. He he did a great job in that movie where he, where he was gay and never touched the guy. <laughs> I'm gay in this movie. Hey, get away from get the hell away from me! Don't touch me. Seriously, but I am gay. Just right. the guy's gay. So, um, uh, should we let our right. guest? Yeah, let's let let's right. let him. I um, let's keep talking though till. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I think that's the future. I mean, if you really want to get the 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 roles, you know, <laughs> he came. Yeah, he's coming in at a really odd time in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, there he is. There hey, he is. what's up? All right, I'm gonna introduce our guest. We're very excited to have him on. Uh, he's a comedian. Uh, uh, I've known for a while, um, and I just did his podcast a little while ago, Broccoli and Ice Cream. Um, mm. He's done, like, everything. Um, he was on <laughs> Letterman, Conan, Tonight Show, Comedy Central. Uh, he had a special called Small, Dork, and Handsome, and a CD called AKA. Please give it up for Mike Kaplan. Thanks for coming. Hey, hey thank <laughs> you so much for having me. I, I had done, I think I did everything except for this podcast. So. Yeah, so here, here you are, finally. Yeah. Off your bucket list. Even Letterman did this podcast, didn't he? Or, um, that was just something I, that's something I dreamt, I, know, I guess. It's been so long, he, he might as well have. Um, so how's it going? Thanks for coming on. Thank I, you for having me. Do you guys know, do, do you know, Aaron, you, you, yeah. you guys have probably met yeah. in the past, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, before you came on, we were just talking about um, The Last <laughs> of Us. Do you do you know that show? Uh, I haven't watched it, and I think I may. So uh, I came on at a good time after you talked about it. But uh, yeah, haven't haven't seen it yet. But hear that everyone's talking about it. Literally are you, everyone. Are you into? 
stuff like that, like zombies and like video. Are you into video games? Because you know people might think you are because like you you kind of uh, part of your persona is you're well dorky. I mean, you said I, I'm just I'm Whoa, just repeating. Oh, hey, <laughs> yeah. Why did you, hey don't 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 try to pigeonhole me with the title of a special that I named about myself, right? right. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, there are many ways to be a dork today, and I feel like. I feel that I, I hope that everyone is one in some way that I hope that I hope everyone loves something enough to, you know, really geek out about it, to really get into it. Like even if you're a sports dork, you know what I mean? They yeah. probably don't call themselves that, but you're sports dorks, sports yeah. dorks. Um, I I'm a sex games, dork. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Super, super into it. I learn everything about it. I read up all about it. I don't have time to do it, but I'm reading a lot. Yeah, about yeah, it. Totally. Well, that's the way. That's a good way to get into it. But uh, um, uh, yeah, you got you got to learn. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up in the 80s and had, uh, you know, an, a regular the original Nintendo Then I got the Super Nintendo in high school. And then when I went to college and then started being, you know, grown, I purposefully did not purchase any further video gaming mm. systems for fear that I would be too much of a video game person because I have a kind of maximizing obsessive leaning personality and like I want to com- I have a completist I have completist tendencies in my past uh and and my present and so I to answer specifically about now I mean I now I have like a a VR like an Oculus headset which I feel like is the closest thing mm-hmm. uh, virtual reality like I play uh, there's a ping pong game in it and there's a mini golf game and I like those and I think that technically those are probably like video games. Does but, that feel like you're really there playing it? Like I mean it it definitely like it doesn't look like. Uh, it's not photorealistic. It it you're it looks like you're in you know a an artificial world, but like you swing you know it feels like I'm swinging a club, mm. and it really you know I'm not a mini I'm not a mini golf dork, but I I like yeah, yeah. mini golf, and of the times that I've played it in real life, uh, it really feel it feels very similar to doing it, and I am a I'm a I'm big into ping pong. And I mean, the game like glitches every once in a while, but when it's working, like it's uh, it's not exactly the same, but it's like, you know, the closest it's uh, of all of all the approximations of ping pong. It's way better than the original football game on Nintendo was uh, compared to regular football where you could only throw left, throw right, throw straight yeah. or run. Yeah. Uh, well, when did you so you you said you you stopped kind of playing video games in college kind of consciously. Yeah. So I, I just I, want to agree with him there because I really did the same thing. I think it's an awful time suck, and I waste my time so much on everything. I also feel like this virtual ping pong can take some of your time, but these games like The Last of Us and stuff, these are these games where you are, you're just playing for hours. There's a story involved. Those games kill you, and I know guys who play it for hours. I don't even know how they have jobs. Like I don't understand when they do it. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com.
Well, that's the, you know, the economy has really, uh, you know, rallied around these guys because as I understand it, you can get paid mm -hmm. by people watching you play video games. Now that's, you know, somehow the weird dream. But I, I feel like similarly, you know, I'm not, I don't mean to suggest that I'm like uh, better than anyone who, like, I feel like I'm, I could be the worst, like, you know, time sucked video game player of all if like there's. I, uh, there's a woman named Gretchen Rubin who's written a bunch of books. One is The Happiness Project. One is The Four Tendencies, which I really like. And she talks about different modalities uh, of, like, per personalities. Like, some people are abstainers and some are moderators. Some people, like, can be like, if there's chips in the house, I'm eating them. So I have to not bring mm. chips in the house if I don't want to eat chips. I'm going to eat all the chips if I have them. But mm. I can – so I can control myself. Like, I have a buddy. He's like, I can, I can not buy the chips, but I can't – not eat the chips if the chips are here. Uh, yeah, He's, I'm like that. So that's an abstainer. Whereas that some people, and I feel like I don't know if it's uh, across the board. You are one. You know, these are like tendencies. But for me, I I feel that way. Like I I could tend that way. So I'm I'm like, yeah. Why not? Why not? Not you know, risk it. Why not tempt mm -hmm. my not tempt myself? But for me, like I mean. TV is a thing that I have in the past, like watched, you know, six hours in a row in a night or, you know, I remember one time when the show 24 was on, I was like an RA, a resident assistant at Boston University, and I was like on call and had to stay in my room for 24 hours. And I watched like a whole, I watched 15 hours of that show <laughs> in a row. Uh, and I feel like that's I, normal I, now, though. Like, isn't that just sort of how people consume TV now? Yeah, but I think I think video games are worse. I, I'm. Even like the sports games, I think Nick Bargetsy had some joke that was really funny about how like he's playing this one sports game. And even before you play, you're not you're like the general manager. So even before you start the season, you're setting the price of hot dogs and, and ticket prices. And he's like, you're, you're paying for three hours even before you do anything. So yeah. I, I feel it's way worse. That sounds like yeah. a good job. <laughs> but, you know, when I got here's a, a joke that I tell sometimes, but is really like this is my true experience. I'm not trying to do a bit on you, uh, but uh, I'm Fire sorry work. that the I'm sorry that the regular thought that I had in my standard <laughs> life experience was funny. Yeah. Uh, so sorry. Uh, who's I'm, uh, who, who am I arguing against? Uh, everyone's fine. You're doing great. Thank you for your graciousness. Um <laughs> I, when I I was in the Oculus in the VR headset world for the first time, and I like looked down at like you know the the I was mo doing this with my hand. I was like opening and closing my hand, and I was looking at a you know a virtual hand opening and closing, and I was like, awesome, isn't that cool? <laughs> and then like afterwards, I took off the headset and I was like, I took a shower, and then I was like looking down at just my regular hand, and I'm like, that's even better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so. I thought you were gonna be like, what is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean this is way this is way more realistic than I mean this simulation is better than that one. That one's a sim, in a sim, yeah. if it is one. But uh, yeah, so I feel like similarly. Like people can you're like, oh, man, OK, you're, you're the team. So you got to manage the team and then you got to make sure to pay taxes because you don't want to get in trouble with the uh, electronic IRS because that's even they've got their robots that are coming to get you like the regular ones in human life. They actually can't really get rich people because they don't have the resources. <laughs> but in this game, you're you're pretending to be rich, but you're not really rich. So you're going to be in trouble. You got to pay your uh, your Madden taxes. Oh, that's um. I never thought of that. Yeah, it's probably harder to get away from AI. Well, that's um, actually I want to bring that up right now because yeah. it's, a good, it's a good segue. So we've been hearing about the chat. Uh, was it GBT? Yeah, uh, yeah. That AI, I think. And so now 
this was someone uh, my friend did this that he you can write a stand-up act from it it's not that good but it's not horrible and well that's scary i'm gonna read about the first that. joke yeah. Please, I can, um, I'll read the joke. So, who's gonna build the the Mexico wall? Yeah, <laughs> it's this is not great, but it's not the worst. It's not funny, but it's like, hey, everybody, have you heard of uh, Chat GBT? It's like having a virtual assistant that can do any that can do anything, except it won't steal your job yet. Hmm, not hmm. funny, like but this is like the pong. You know, remember that video game pong, the first video game? That's what this is. Yes. So well, it's, yeah. I'm it's a little scary. Uh, here, here's I got a couple things for you. I'm going to go. I have my phone on airplane mode right now because I respect you and your uh, <laughs> your art that we're creating here. But uh, I want to go briefly into my uh, my texts because a friend I've a couple friends who are, have gone like really deep into uh, this AI, this chat mm -hmm. world. And one of them here, I, I'd like to share a brief exchange, yeah. if I may. Uh, so. My friend Mike Bledger, who is also uh, a comedy writer now, a movie writer, used to do stand-up, doesn't do stand-up as much anymore. Super funny guy, very good friend. Uh, and so he told me that he asked ChatGPT, can you write me a joke in the style of Mitch Hedberg? Mm. And That's then it wrote... <laughs> oh, I, go, go I, ahead. Want, I can't wait to hear this. No, yeah. I, I'm... Okay, so it, it said, sure, I can give it a try. Here's a joke in the style of Mitch Hedberg. I used to play sports. Then I realized you can buy trophies. Now I'm good at everything. Oh, my God. Is, That's is that a real? Bad. Is that a Mitch Hedberg joke? Then he wrote back to it. Are you aware that the joke you just wrote is a Dimitri Martin joke? Oh, <laughs> All right. And so. Then it said, I apologize for the mistake. The joke I wrote is indeed by Dimitri Martin, not Mitch Hedberg. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Here's a new attempt. And then they say, I haven't slept for 10 days because that would be too long. And they said, yes, are you aware that that is a Mitch Hedberg joke? Not one in the style of it. And he goes back and forth for a little so while. So it, like, it already is becoming more human because it's just stealing it's jokes. Also, <laughs> 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 I think, I think uh, scientists yeah. uh, invented Carlos Mencia. I think that's what they did. It wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Carlos Mencia's name ends with the letter. There's AI. Oh, shit. So, yeah. Men see AI. Yeah. Um, if I may also, do you guys know the comedian Nick Vatterant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. Nick is one of my favorites. He's uh, a friend, and he texted me this joke the other day. I don't know if he's doing it in his act or if he tweeted it or whatever, but he just texted me this joke. And I was like, this is the part. He's like, these chat GPT jokes really write themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's beautiful. So, Check it out. It is. I know it's. <laughs> kind of newish but it is sort of terrified do you do you ever think of that i mean it seems mm. where where's it going to be in 10 years i feel like you know a lot of things creatively are just kind of you know deteriorating a little bit um and comedy well, we can get into this but like <laughs> stand-up just see i i can't put my finger on exactly what my problem with stand-up is now probably i'm older um <laughs> but just it's like i don't know you know i have a lot of comedian people follow people can be following me on instagram so whenever i scroll it's just clips of comedians and they're curating their own things to put out so they're all killing so when i watch yeah. comedy now it's just oh wow everyone's everyone's hilarious yeah. all the time yeah. so it's, go to an open mic yeah <laughs> that'll that'll <laughs> no, fix that for you no that's true but um but I, for but like 
go, go no, ahead. Go ahead. No, but I do think with stand up comedy, it's like that'll be the hardest thing for that for those things to really figure out because it's so personal and creative. You know, like Mike is a very original comedian, so I don't think you're you'd be worried anytime soon. You know, um, no, and I'll to do to be generous uh, to. I, I think the the problem that can arise and already is arising, not in stand up, but in other artistic uh, sort of frameworks like in visual art. My understanding is that, you know, the A.I. can look at, you know, as there's some amount of paintings, you know, some quantity of paintings that it has access to. Like it could look at, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's stuff. It could look at Picasso's stuff. And then when you're like, hey, can you do something in the style of blank? Then it can. It can, you know, make Sarah Silverman look like a Rembrandt, you know, mm. uh, but it's doing that by taking number one, uh, the art of Rembrandt or whoever it is. And it's taking the art of the photographer who wherever they got that photo from. So they're all it's already I feel like in like treacherous, like legal territory for like mm. who owns the new things. If like they're like, look at this brand new thing we created by mixing together two very specific old things. And yeah. like you see with the jokes, it's like, you know, it's either not coming up with great jokes or it's taking great jokes from other people. And, you know, in the and that is kind of, you know, it is what humans have done at times. Mm -hmm. You know, you think you write a great joke and you're like, check it out. And they're like, that's a Judy Gold joke. And you're like, OK, <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> Eric does that a lot. He writes a lot of Ju Judy Gold jokes. I, I brought I brought her up only because uh, number one, I love her, and the very first joke I ever had that consistently worked, that like made me feel confident in every like I was like, this will I'll tell this. The audience will be on my side for the rest of these five minutes. I'll be able to succeed. Uh, like you know, uh, a week, a month, uh, a couple months later, somebody, an older comedian, you know, in the early two thousands or whenever it was, was like, "That's a Judy Gold joke." And I was like, "I didn't. I don't think I'd known Judy Gold. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen her. Like, I wrote the joke, but she also wrote the joke a decade or two earlier." Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Well, you're also seeing this with a lot of young comics that I run into, and they'll do jokes that, and they're so proud of. I don't. I'm, I don't have the heart to tell them. I'm like. I saw that joke 15 <laughs> years ago. I, I just, I, someone will tell him at one point, someone on the internet. That but. Spiro Agnew joke. Yeah, that's been done. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I, um, I have had that a, f a few times and it's a bummer because I've, I've written jokes that I'm like, oh, this is a really good joke. And I did just write it. And then actually it happened with Mitch Hedberg. I had a joke where it was just, it, you know, it was very something. I thought it was a really good joke. It was like about, you know, when you, when you're, apartment gets infested with animals it's always shitty animals mm, you know it's not you never come course. home and you're never like oh dude we got pandas <laughs> oh wow so close but as do well. you know that jo his joke though of course yeah i don't know Where, that one. his is like he koalas. does it way differently yeah. it's like uh, koalas yeah. Yeah. yeah um so Cutest i remember station ever yeah and i remember being like really pissed because I was like, oh, that's a, you know, I did it once. And it was like killing. And then, and then I found that out and I was like, oh, so it's uh, and going back to what you're talking about with, you know, the legality of, you know, with art and creativity, it's like, that's like the fine line. And like with, with creativeness or creativity, art is like, cause you, you can't help, but, you know, be influenced and take things from different places, but that's kind of the art kind of becomes, how you do that you know what i mean like tarantino i think is arguably one of the most 
original and creative people out there. But what's amazing is he literally is just taking from so many different things that it is new, which is kind of what rap music was and is, is like they're taking, you know, they are taking from certain different things, but they're, they are creating a new thing. The problem is a lot of people take and take and they don't make it. That's like what a hack is in comedy. You can see, cause they're just kind of taking and barely changing a thing. So, you know, Speaking of Nick Vatterot, who I think is also one of the most original, you know, I mean, at a certain point, I feel like there's nobody better than, you know, all of the best, you know, like nobody's better than Maria Bamford. Nobody's better than, you know, whoever your favorite is like they they're at the top of being them, like nobody's competing with them at what they do because they're doing something, you know, unique and original, uh, like even if they have a similar topic or a similar joke to someone right. else, like the totality of of their like, you know, Maria Bamford used to have a similar joke to Mike Birbiglia about both of their greatest fear being bears, you know, and that's like mm-hmm. not it's they're they're both, like, you know, very original. They're both you know, doing their own thing and they're kind of nothing like each other, you know, other than they're both uniquely themselves but uh so that it can happen of course and it's about often about the intent you know if the intent if you're if you're creating something based on your experience with the world the the influences that you have that you can't control what has gone into you other than you know you you watch art that you like you take in movies and music and all these other things and uh and so nick told me once i asked nick that on my podcast years ago i was like nick how do you do what you do? Because, you know, sometimes you, you see somebody like uh, write a joke that's like if you're a, a one liner guy and you write uh, a, a Oh, yeah, that's I see the equation there. I see the misdirection. I see you say this and it makes them think that then you go this way, you zig and then you zag. And and then sometimes you have people who are like, how did where did how did this did it just come to you full formed? Like, because I can't see. How, and so I asked Nick once, like, how do you do how do you do it? How do you how are how do you be funny? Like if you can describe it. And he said, well, I'm not claiming to be funny, but if I am funny, here's how I think I'm funny. He's like, I think I just remember everyone that I've ever met. And uh, I think about, you know, maybe not all at once, but I think about if I'm going to do a character, I'll be like, I'll kind of walk like this person from my past. I'll talk in the voice of this other this lady that I saw at the supermarket the other day. I'll talk about this topic that I overheard these two guys, you know, yelling about on the train. And he's like, I'll I'll conglomerate, you know, take Mm. all these stars and create this brand new constellation that is, of course, by the time you get through with it, original. Like if those two guys, if any of those people saw his comedy they wouldn't be like hey that's one seventh of me in there yeah. it's just because he right. is the guy who like organically alchemizes it into something brand new and like like you said with tarantino like sometimes artists will directly quote and like do homages to you know artists from the past and like you know some comedians will do impressions of other like doing an impression like hey that's Jack Nicholson's voice. Like it'd be weird. Like that <clears throat> you're not allowed. That Jack Nicholson does his voice. You don't do his voice. Uh, yeah, I, it, yeah. But sometimes there's like was, sometimes there's like movies like that, and everyone'll be like, "Oh, that movie is th- this other movie," and then they'll go to the director, and he'll be like, "Oh, that was an homage." Like he'll try to cover his ass. <laughs> I think he tried to sneak one by everybody. You know, yeah. Fast and the like, Furious Seven was an homage to the first <laughs> number five. Yeah. James Cameron <clears throat> uh, isn't Avatar just Pocahontas with blue people? Yeah. And <laughs> yes, of course. I just I felt it should be live action and blue. Yeah. I think they also compared um, it to that and Fern Gully. It was another one. They, they said oh, it was just sure. like. 
I, I never even saw either one of those, but um, um, I haven't either. Well, I was so like, and another thing about Tarantino, and I guess is like why he really gets away with it is because, you know, he's such a total um, cinephile and, you know, basically maniac about he just knows everything about pop culture. He's seen everything, just the most obscure, weirdest, bad things. And he like is such a sponge. He just loves it. So what he'll do is he'll see something that's like a movie that like four people have seen that no one has seen. And it's been, you know, made in a basement in Germany and (laughs) he'll take something from that and he'll put it in. So he's taking from things that no one really knows and a bunch of those different things. So it is, uh, that's kind of in his favor that just his knowledge is so vast that he can take from so many different things that it's, it hasn't been made. And it's not in the, um, Oh, yeah. The consciousness of of everyone. And I do think, let me just ask you this though before. So, like, because I've had this happen. So, like, have you ever been watching like like a a serious movie or something? Something that's not comedy and someone will say something and it, 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 it's like a funny observation and angle on something, but it's not a, a comedy and they're not doing it funny. And you've, and been like, Oh, that could be a joke. And it's uh, not really stealing because it's not comedy. It's just kind of a random observation in like a serious movie. I, I had that recently. I was with my girlfriend. I saw it. I was like, I feel like that's a funny idea. I wonder if I could do that as a joke. First of all, I don't think anyone would know what it's from. And right. it, I'm not. What, 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 what's the line? Luke, Luke, I am your father. I think people might know. Yeah, that. Is that, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it was. um. <laughs> It was something from um, Ghostbusters. It wasn't. It wasn't one of the funny parts. No, it was. Um, <laughs> Who you gonna I don't remember call? What? It, yeah. what? <laughs> Who you gonna call? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It was so. <laughs> I um, I I can't remember what it was, but I remember having that. I don't think that's stealing. If that guy didn't really come up with the the idea, he just had a. He didn't come up with a joke. He just came up with an. And it's not a joke. It's yeah. just more like they said something that like. Here's a good example. All right. I'll, so like right. I was listening to an interview with um one of the Central Park Five. Do you know who those guys are? Yeah. So already this I is do. not very funny. Hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so you know the, I mean you know like people aren't going to be like you stole that from one of the Central Park Five. Um, <laughs> so he I, he did a podcast and um in the podcast he was talking about how hard it was for him to get a job before they were exonerated. And he said. Anytime he filled out a job application, he always got to that part where they're like, have you ever been convicted of a violent felony? And then and then I had to fill it out. And they always wrote, you know, saying yes will not disqualify your your chances for the job. And he was like, yeah, all right. But and then I was like, oh, that could be a really funny joke because everyone has seen that. And it's also like, really, like if I put that I, you know, murdered my last boss, like you're not going to take that into account. You know, Tom, uh, I, number one, that is funny. At, I guess to me, uh, even like, you know, you're, you're, of course, you're not worried about that non-comedian coming after you for joke theft of his real life struggle. But <laughs> I, I honestly think that the way you just told it now, like that's that's the way that I would do it to go into the joke, because it's not just the topic. I mean, unless that's if that's what you're talking about, then great. Go ahead, like say I was listening to this podcast with this guy from the Central Park Five and like already grounds for comedy and then but this is a hilarious thing that came out of it and so then you're even you're citing your source and you're getting i feel like extra laughs out of it just you know you're not own because you have new ideas you want to share to it about it as well like you're going to put your own spin on it but like why not just share i 
I listened to this guy say this thing. I'm like, yeah, that would be because his particular situations, even it's more different than just if you're like, I'm looking at this piece of paper. Yeah. Uh, his situation, I, I is guess like, so, he's innocent. Well, yeah. what was interesting was th- it's, you know, how like as a comedian, you're always like looking for an angle that, that not everyone's seeing, but that is like, you, you know, that, you know, you know, the feeling like, when you you notice something that clearly has been staring everyone in the face and no one has noticed it yet and you're like oh my god how did i not mm. come up with that idea for so <clears throat> that was a good example of like oh my god i've seen that on job applications i've never heard anyone make mm. that comment out loud except for the central park five so i almost feel like if you want to write jokes it's almost like watch things not comedy really and yeah. i'm i watch a lot of different stupid pop culture bad things and at times I'll be like, oh, that's a really good angle for a joke. I don't steal it for, you know, but it's like they'll they'll inspire, they'll spark your brain. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I've taken oh, yeah. a couple I've taken a couple of things from people who are not comics, you know, and I'll say something kind of funny and I'll go, Oh, that's really good. Can I use that? And they're like, Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, when you ask a comic, they're like, Oh, whoa, everyone tries to take possession. But if you talk to like a civilian, they're like, Yeah, I don't I don't care. They're almost happy oh, yeah. that you're using it. You yeah, know? they're like flattered. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Here's a here's a couple things. Number one, uh, eventually, Tom, don't let me forget to tell you something nice about you. That's going to be the fourth thing that I say. Okay? <laughs> All right. Well, let's just get At right least. into that. Okay. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, I don't do this as a I do this as a joke on podcasts like right now. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I. I, I, have, I have more ideas. You than are I very get forthcoming to... about your uh, <laughs> intentions. <laughs> I, yeah, I, li- I like everyone to have all the information. Um, but, you know, I, I have a joke about the very situation that you just mentioned, Eric, where like, so my girlfriend is not a comedian, uh, but she is funny and says funny things and actually, you know, contributes to my comedy actively as well as, you know, every once in a while, she'll just say something like, oh, that would be. And we agree. We're like, yeah, with her permission, right. uh, because she's not a comedian separate from me. I'll use that. Or if my mom says something funny, uh, either on purpose or not, I'll always be like, mom, I'm going to say that unless it would make <laughs> you feel that. Or like, you know, parents with their kids, a kid says a weird thing. You, anyway, of course, out in the yeah, world. Yeah. But uh, it's funny, like if I if a friend of mine who's a comedian says something that's funny, I'm like, you should do that in your act. You should do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, like, do you do that? You don't do that. You should do I'm that. Good. And then and if yeah. well, they'll say, I don't want to do it, would you be like, oh, I would. Yeah, I would happily take it if they don't want to <laughs> do it. But but at, for a comedian, I'm like, you should do that. Sometimes when a non-comedian friend says something funny. I have the inclination to be like, you should do you should say that. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, I I just said it like that's like the purest form of more. comedy, you know, you should open with that in all of your interactions. Yeah, I, I think it'll work on everyone, not just me right now, even though it's about me. Like Albert Brooks was once uh, interviewed by, I think, uh, Judd Apatow in that book, uh, Sick in the Head, a mm-hmm. great bunch of interviews. And I think it's in there that Albert Brooks said, like, sometimes he would go to The Tonight Show to do The Tonight Show to be a guest and he's going to do panel. And he's on the way over there deciding what he's going to do. And like, he'll talk to someone on the phone and they'll be like, what are you going to do? And then he tells them the funny story that he's planning to tell on the tonight show. And then after he finishes the the story to the friend on the phone, he's like, well, now I can't do that. I just did it. And then he has to do something else in his own (laughs) mind. He's like that. It's the same thing to him, whether he's telling a good friend, a a five minute story or telling it to, you know, Johnny Carson or, uh, or Leno or right. Right. But, uh, the, the thing that you were saying about, 
some like Tarantino finding like very obscure things because he has such a wide range of of knowledge on movies. Like I feel like the other way is uh, a different route as well. When you take things that are so clearly so blatant like if a jazz singer quotes happy birthday nobody's like hey that's a different song you know they're like <laughs> you they get what you're doing uh in the in their solo and they're like oh that didn't fit with there that's a cool new thing or there's a comedian friend of mine ramin nazer he's fantastic i love him yeah uh, i know okay yeah yeah so ramin uh on his, he has one stand-up album that he made like 10 years ago and i think it's so funny and there's just one part of it where he's doing it in front of an audience like, like that you know he's not a a, a world-renowned famous comedian that everyone knows and he's doing it in front of not necessarily all comedy fans but he tells a joke and then at one point after a joke he says I don't care who y'all who you are. That's funny right there in Larry, the cable guy's voice, because that's the thing that Larry, the cable guy says. And he's hmm. quoting Larry, the cable guy to people who might recognize, but most likely probably. But I'm like, I thought it was like the funniest thing uh, because and it's not like Larry, the cable guy is like just for, you know, making a German movie in a basement. He's performing. Do the, in, do the uh, people you know. um, do they do they laugh at that? How does it go over? Uh, I think it gets a laugh, but I'm not sure if it's the, la you know, I think yeah, that some people are laughing the... just because it's a funny thing for him to say in a weird voice at that moment, uh, which is kind of like the way a lot of people enjoy, like, you know, as a kid, you watch the Muppets and they're like socks uh, talking. Mm -hmm. You're like, hooray, the sock is dancing, you know, and as an adult, you're like, these socks were playing, they were playing some pretty uh, elaborate games and uh, <laughs> some pretty impressive, like social commentary there, these socks. But and that's a beautiful thing when everyone uh, can enjoy that. Uh, third thing. Uh, we're almost to you, Tom. Uh, <laughs> there's a an author named Arthur Brooks, as opposed to Albert Brooks, Arthur C. Brooks, I believe, uh, is a he's like a he is or was a professor at Harvard who studies happiness. And he read I wrote a book. I wrote a book that he read. I read a book that he wrote. Uh, and that'd be a fun way for him to say it. Uh, I wrote a book that Mike Kaplan read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called From Strength to Strength. And it's about how when you're younger, uh, there's two different kinds of intelligence, he says. One is like crystallized and one is fluid. And he said, when you're younger, you're better at fluid intelligence. Like you can do so many more different things. That's why like people who Nobel Prize winners, they do, most of them have done their most of their work that they got awarded for in the earlier part of their career. And like like a like an athlete, you know, everyone has like an arc that they'll reach their peak potential and then, you know, slowly they'll gradually yeah. descend. And that curve, he said, you can leap from that curve to the second curve, which is maybe doesn't ever have to decline as much where like in the latter part of his life, Bach, you know, in the beginning of his life, he's the most famous composer. Then people stopped really enjoying like his kind of music got out of favor. His son made all different kinds of music, became much more successful mm -hmm. and popular than him in his lifetime. But Bach became a teacher. And that's why we have all of, you know, his work today. And so uh, huh. the crystallized kind of intelligence like encapsulates like you're you're able to like zoom out and step back and you're not necessarily innovating in the same way that you were when you were younger, uh, but you are able to like sort of cohere everything together. And so I feel like that's what 
you know, Quentin Tarantino might be, maybe, maybe he was innovating more in his younger days. Maybe now he's just like, because of all of the knowledge that he has, he's like, oh yeah, I can see that if I put this with this, with this, with this, then it does seem like a brand new thing because also that's maybe the only way that brand new things like, cause there, you know, no matter can ever be, or energy can be created or destroyed. It's all shifting around and being reframed. But anyway, so who, finally, so who, wrote, who wrote that book though? That was not was Arthur Brooks, Arthur, Arthur Brooks. Brooks. Yeah. And Albert Brooks, okay. Also, by the way, you probably know this little trivia. What's Albert Brooks's real name? Einstein. Yeah. Albert <laughs> Einstein. His right, brother right. is Bob Einstein. I, that's just, yeah. I mean, I mean. Is I, that Super Dave? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But uh, imagine uh, that's a, a tough name to grow up, with, grow up with, Albert Einstein. You got really, like, high expectations there. I mean, he probably oh, exceeded yeah. them, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, those two Albert Einsteins did a pretty good job, both of them. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You know, um, okay. So, Tom. Okay, here we uh, the, go. The now, now the main of event. my set. Now yeah. I'll start listening again. <laughs> 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 no, I love Tom's it. last name was originally um, Einstein. Tom Einstein, right? <laughs> no, but uh, so uh, earlier when you were bemoaning uh, that Mitch Hedberg had written a joke that you also had separately written, and and he uh, achieved success with it widely and publicly. Uh, either before you did or, you know, uh, in such a way that you were like, I guess I I can't also continue doing my joke because his is too similar and is out there. Uh, When that has happened to me in in ways as well, and I, I encourage you, if you can, maybe this is more me than you, but I feel like the generous reading of it is like you came up with uh, an idea that has entertained millions like you came up with like your brain did just as good a job as like one of the most beloved comedians of all time like you're on the right track like it's not like that joke was the only joke you've ever written and you're like oh no Mitch Hedberg took it like have, here's a have it's you kind of like when you find out a girl you're dating banged like uh some really big, <laughs> like Brad Pitt or something yeah it I suppose it could be like that <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, you could tell that, tell your joke and Hedberg's joke and talk about Brad Pitt. Um, I think a lot know, of it comes from writing a lot, though. If you write like a lot and yeah. Tom writes a lot, there's, it's just going to happen. It's going to happen. You write a lot of jokes. Oh, yeah, gonna, yeah. But wait, something. were you going to say something more about that? I'm sorry. Wait, were you, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I, mean, were you, yes. I thought you were going to give me a suggestion of how to yeah. like change it or something. But no. Oh, ahead. no, no, no. You can't change the joke. Just change, no, no. Just change your attitude and personality and uh, be, <laughs> yeah, be, well. gr- be grateful that you, you've come up with such a wealth uh, of experience. That was my suggestion. Uh, but sincerely, uh, kind of continuing and with what Eric was just saying, there's a thing I learned about once called rapid prototyping. Uh, which is, uh, they, let's say they took a class, a ceramics class, and they split it in half, and they said one class, spend the whole time making one perfect pot. Try to make, spend like the entire time perfecting one pot. And the other class, the other half, they said, just spend the whole time making as many pots as you can. And at the end of the time, the, the side of the class that was making multiple pots were able to and were consistently making pots that were better than the one pot that they spent their best time on, which is, you know, I feel like in comedy as well, like the more jokes you write, the better you get at writing jokes, like the less precious we have to be about any one particular joke. Of course, we you come up with a joke, you love your joke, you're like, what a great joke. You find out somebody else has the joke in the beginning. That was all when I when I found out that that Judy Gold had written my joke years earlier, I was like, oh no, what am I going to do now? Like, because at that point, we're coming from a place of lack and uncertainty. And yeah. 
And I was never one of those. You know how people would get very like angry about someone else having a joke like theirs like they'd be like oh man i they, i have a joke like that they stole it like i never my, my <laughs> attitude was always even if i did if someone it seemed like did something i remember there were a few times people were like you know someone someone's doing a joke exactly like yours and i was like all right well i mean i'll just write more jo-. i mean it, it was my attitude was always like I'll just. What am I going to do if they? I mean, that's kind of like a compliment, and I'm sure it's just yeah. a, a comic. Fr- I, a comic friend of mine, uh, he does this thing sometimes where he'll see a young comic and they'll have a great joke and it crushes. And then when they, right when they get off stage, he goes, "You know, Bill Burr has the same joke," and he's <laughs> co- he's totally. Fu- you see them go white. They go fucking white. It's such a mean thing, but it's also really that is funny. mean. That's <laughs> like um yeah, but, but I. Yeah. It would happen early on where people would be like, I, you know, that thing where you'd have a joke about dating and someone would be like, you know, early, you know, young comedians would be like, oh, thanks. man. yeah, I, I talk about that, too. You know, you're just like, yeah, well, I think, yeah. I think <laughs> you know, it's kind of open territory. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Dating Cause some people thing. are like, I when I first started, I did joke about the subway and someone's like, oh, I have a joke about the subway. I'm like, so you own the subway? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you right. know, actually, who who owns dating is uh, Craig Shoemaker, uh, the love, <laughs> the love master, I believe the love, uh, whatever. I forget what it's yeah. called, but uh the yeah that, that's that's so funny it, here's a note i don't know who your your friend is eric who does this uh hilarious make people feel bad bill burr bit uh but uh actually bill burr does that to people so you should tell him to stop and uh <laughs> he's stealing that from bill burr yeah here's here's the way here's my note uh and maybe he does this maybe i'll be generous maybe this is exactly what he does my favorite like is I only I don't love pranks. I the only I like a prank if it's like half a second long. I'd be right. like you'd be like, "Oh my god, oh everything's fine now." And yeah. uh, just kidding. I don't even like them like that. But if they're going to happen, I like them to be over almost to me before you're done. You know, I don't want to make people feel bad or get scared. Like I just want to I want to have fun. And so here's the way that I would do it if I were if I were going to do that, which I wouldn't, is have it be like hopefully a joke that like Bill Burke could never do like would never do (laughs) like you know it's like a non-binary comedian comes off stage not that i'd want to you know make a marginalized person feel worse but you know like the most like let's say you know oh a white guy (laughs) a straight white guy telling like the most progressive joke about you know (laughs) the intersectionality of gender race orientation (laughs) identity and be like yeah man that's built that's bill's new thing like (laughs) at least then that would be that would be like a, a bonus yeah does the same Burr. joke yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly i love it i did a show once it was me and kurt metzger were doing a college and this is hilarious he was opening for me that's that's a really <laughs> hilarious part um but they came to like pick us up like like four people in a van like i i guess they were really into the show i don't it was like a small college and it was like a two or three hour drive and about an hour into the drive the guy who was the organizer or whatever i don't know was like yeah you know by the way just the the school is like really religious and you can't curse and you can't do any kind of blue material and i was headlining and i mean i definitely had you know, jokes where I talked about sex and you know, not like I'm, it was like filthy, but I mean, and so, and Kurt was, was like, really? Oh man, that sucks. Oh God. So like this went on for like about an hour and a half where I'm going through my entire set and like rewriting my set. And then finally one of them leans to me and whispers like kind of to not like 
ruin it for him. Like, you know, like he's kidding, right? That's not true. And I was just like, <laughs> and you know, I played off like, oh yeah, no, I, I like, yeah, of course he's kidding. But it was, I remember being like, what, why would you do that? Like, you're, try, it's already like, I love when people try and throw obstacles at comedians. It's like, yeah. it's already like impossible. Like, just let me fucking make it as easy as possible. Like, yeah, the, so, wor- the worst thing is like you'll do a show and, and they'll actually this will be true, but someone will go up to you right before you go on stage. There's a really important person in the crowd right now. <laughs> and they tell you right before you go on. I'm like, why would you do this to me? Like, why? It, By the once- way, your parents who have never <laughs> met you are uh, in the crowd. <laughs> yeah. And they uh, said this is your one shot to get their love. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I, I love it. If I may, I here's here's how I would do there's somebody really important in the room tonight. And afterwards you tell them it was you. You're the important one. Uh, uh, that's and, like a cult. Le- so that's like some cult leader shit. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, and Tom, the situation that you were in, like when you really started, you know, second guessing everything that you were able to do, like as a joke, like the joke was done and they could have been like, when you were like, Oh no. Then they'd be like, just kidding like right there like yeah. a, that's a perfect time for a one and a half second prank right like, it was like and and it was basically one guy was kind of like letting the genie out of the box you know what i mean like he was kind of like uh, i'm gonna tell you because they don't want to like ruin the joke and it's like so you were just the entire ride let me up until the show started <laughs> like it's just basically like hey we want to make sure like the show is bad as bad as possible um but do you have know, any, guess, like, rituals before your show? Like, do you like to really freak out a lot about how it's going to go? Is that, like, your main – Does that? do you have a thing that you like to eat in the green room while you question your entire life up until this point? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, – but it, I guess it's that thing where, you know, when they're around comedians, they feel like they have to, like, hang with the comedian, and, and they think that that is kind of, like, giving oh, you yeah. the business or, like, you know, and they think comedians uh, – they. For some reason, people have this idea that comedians are really strong, um, not sensitive people. Yeah. Like, you know, they're always like, like the hecklers, like, "Hey, come on, man, just you're a comedian." It's like just because I'm a comedian doesn't mean I don't like I like I don't hate when people yell insults at me. Like, it does make me feel bad. You know what I mean? Like, that's one thing <laughs> I had later in comedy where people would scream at me, and I wouldn't, or you know, when people would heckle or something, and I, I kind of would come out of it sometimes and be like. Look, I know I don't know what you're doing, but like I am a person here and I am like talking and it's already hard. So like, can you just like let me do the thing like people yelling at you while you're trying to do a thing isn't going to it's just going to make it worse for you. So does that make any? You know what I mean? Like comedians, I think, are the most sensitive people in the world. So it's a weird thing that people look at us as like these hardened individuals, which I guess you kind of have to become in a sense. Yeah. Well, that's what hecklers think a lot. They go, oh, you could take it. You're a professional. I'm like, you can't take someone yelling over every joke. That's not no comedy. Yeah, what do you mean take it? I can take not <laughs> them not hearing me. <laughs> you know, it's like imagine if like the world's greatest, you know, Olympic class archer is getting ready to line up their their shot to get a bullseye in the olympics and then right before they shoot right as they're shooting uh somebody in the crowd shoots them with an arrow and they're like hey if you can dish it out why can't you take it you know (laughs) uh like yeah that's that's the way that people can some people conceive of comedy and uh and comedians like here's the thing i did a i did a a house show over the weekend in boston it was super fun it was great Mm And afterwards they had, you know, there's people sort of gathered, continued to gather and it was a little party. 
And uh, there was a, a young woman there, uh, I think possibly like a college student or maybe even like some, some a, very, a young lady who was like, I'm a, people are always telling me mm-hmm. that I should do, she's like, I do, I, she's like, I'm a musician. I, like I, I'm a songwriter and I like perform. And she's like, sometimes I talk to the audience in between the songs and like, so always people laugh and like, that's fun. And so people have been like, well, you should do stand up. And she's like, but. I'm worried because like, I'm super shy off stage. Like I'm not, I don't have the kind of personality that I'm like, Oh yeah. Sounds you don't like have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, <laughs> you can just do the comedy on, you could just perform on stage. But even in that, like she could be a comedian. She is a performer. She does funny things, but she still has like, you know, the misconception that so many do, as you're saying that people think that, you know, people think that, I mean, some comedians are on, more of the time than other comedians but of course there's many comedians that are like yabba dabba do then off stage like gonna go home you know or (laughs) sit quietly i was very disappointed when i met fred flintstone in person (laughs) hey man i thought you're always just splitting a bowling ball in half have a good time well the the worst thing is i don't know if this is this was a show at a restaurant listen one nighters and sometimes the owner of the restaurant wants to start the show themselves which is always a bad thing (laughs) and i was i was hosting and he's like, I'll bring you up. I'm like, you know what? I'll just go up. He's like, no, no, I'll bring you up. So he goes up for like a minute and a half and he's shitting on me, you know? And I'm like, this is your business. <laughs> this is like, all these, I'm like, I'm now fucked. And the show's going to probably suck because I'm going to bomb. And well, what are you doing? saying? Like, this guy's bad or something? Yeah. He goes, ah, this guy, I never heard him before. He's an amateur. I'm like, what the? F-? I'm like, <laughs> but I'm I like, think they think you're supposed to roast comedians. It's like, I, I think they're like, at, when I, I remember Mark Norman, when he first was kind of around, he was, he would always say these obnoxious insults to me. I didn't know. He was like this guy out of nowhere. And then. Later on, I was like, he was like, ah, yeah, I remember I did that. I'm like, well, why would you do that all all the time? And he's like, oh, you know, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Like, you couldn't (laughs) be obsequious. You had to kind of like, you know, give him a hard time and act like you didn't really give a shit. And I was like, but I would just be standing there and you would just say weird things. Like, (laughs) you think the girl I'm dating is fucking other people. Like, that's not roasting. That's like ruining my fucking year. So, um, I guess that's just what it, and I, you know, I, I am someone who like, I'm really polite and nice, but when people are rude to me and say mean things to me, I don't, I get really upset about it and I get defensive and I think I got it, you know, I wouldn't react the way that people wanted me to react, but I guess I, I just didn't understand that I, it took me a while to understand that that's why people were doing it. I just assumed. Oh, yeah. Well, it's an it, immature understanding of stand up from either within it. Like, you know, I was when I was younger, I had the idea that like, yeah, you got to you got to have a thick skin and you got to make other people all they got. to Everybody's got to have thick skins and they no nobody should ever connect because you're thin. You're, you're, your skin is yeah. too thick, you know, but then you find out eventually like, oh, yeah, if you just, you know, you don't have to do that. Like people have a misconception. I'm not a dinosaur. Yeah. yeah. Like, do you know that an alpha, the idea of an alpha male, like in our society is like it's a misunderstanding of like the scientific phenomenon of like the alpha in a wolf pack or the alpha in a pack of 
primates, you know? The alpha isn't the one who's just, like, can beat everybody up and is, like, the macho boss. It's somebody who, like, fosters connection and communication and, like, you know, they help if outsiders come in, they 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 get, they don't necessarily stop everyone on their own, It but they, they're liked. They're likable. Mm-hmm. They're, like, kind of like a good president, you know? So they're, that's they're more like, what the alpha is as opposed to what the conception is, is that exactly. it's like, fuck you to everyone, get away from me, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you Uh, exactly i i always thought that too because like there seems to be some weird renaissance happening now we're not renaissance but like something in the culture where people are just kind of um there's all these male comedians who are getting a lot of hot women like on a large scale in and you know celebrities and it seems to be this thing that people are just acting like is a brand new um concept of like you know it turns out like you know, women like they kind of like these like charismatic, like funny guys who are just like fun to be around. And like they kind of say clever things like what's going on with the world? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like that's kind of like why a lot of people did. Con- I, I just always feel like I mean, I don't know what it was when you were younger, but I felt like I discovered young like, oh, I have like I'm funny and that helps me get attention from people and it's positive attention. So but have, do you know what I'm talking about? Like it, there's kind of a thing going like. Like the whole Pete Davidson phenomenon, which is like incredible to me, because like I first of all, I get it. You know what I mean? Pete Davidson, he's a a rich and famous, funny guy. And like, but um, and he's also a nice guy. I think that's the part that a lot of people because there's a lot of rich and famous comedians who aren't uh, in the same position that he's in. But like, you know, he comes off nice, too. He's likable. Yeah, I mean, like, well, he had a tragic, you know, uh, experience early, a traumatic experience, a loss in his family that, you know, it's not that losing a parent young always makes you into uh, a kind hearted, sensitive person, but it very it very much can do that. I just watched a one man show, uh, a super hilarious, wonderful show. Uh, called Sugar Daddy. It's this guy. He's 28. He's a comedian named Sam Morrison. I've known him for oh, a few years. Oh, I know years, him. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, since a little before the pandemic. And uh, he, in the past, you know, he dated a man uh, who's like in his 50s. Uh, and that man died, you know, three years into their relationship, uh, I believe, of COVID. Oh, wow. And uh, and so he has now this show. And then Sam, the now living, uh, continuing living, comedian who lost his partner uh, has experienced this tremendous grief and has learned so much from the experience he also he developed diabetes like because of the grief like the uh that's Mm. what the doctors have said and so he has now this one-man show that's all about uh the love that they shared the grief that he experienced the physical and emotional uh and effects and it's so goddamn funny it's so like it's so hilarious and and he he specifically i see like he's a 28 year old and he is wiser than most people you know twice his age because he has now he's in grief counseling groups with people three times his age you know just a bunch of like you know people who've lost their their spouses after 10 20 30 50 years and so like that kind of loss can like 
you know, it can harden a person, but it can also really soften a person, like, you know, make somebody understand, you know, kind of, I don't mean to spoil anything, but one of the messages of the show is that love is the only thing that's important. Uh, love is the most important thing in the world. Sorry, you don't have to see the show now, but yeah. uh, I do recommend it. It's called First Sugar of all, I Daddy. I disagree yeah. completely. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny counterpoint. Uh, I, that's fair. I'll, I'll no, entertain no, that. Yet. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 you're, you may be right. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, the, so with Pete Davidson, I feel like I don't know him super well. Like, you know, I, I know him very uh, a mm -hmm. little bit here and there. But uh, my, you know, from the people that I know who know him and from what I've seen and heard, like he has he is it, it's not only like physical things. It's not only monetary things. It's not only fame things that are drawing people to him. Like once you're, you know, once you're Kim Kardashian, once you're at a level of fame where like you could, if you want, meet whoever you want and pretty much right, talk right. to whoever you want, then, then that kind of, you know, the veil can, you know, be lifted and you're like, well, who do you want to talk to and for what reason? Like, right. it's not just that he's a, a funny guy. It's that he's a genuine, uh, cool, nice dude. Well, I, I and I he's someone that I've um, I just think it's funny because, it, you know, that has been kind of a running joke for a little bit about because now he, he's the punchline of and then she fucked mm. Pete. <clears throat> and it's so amazing to me because I remember, you know, when Pete Davidson was just this kid around doing stand up and it's amazing to me watching him become like. I, like the fucking Warren Beatty of our gender, you know, just kind of the <laughs> like unadulterated, like got go to guy. And it's um, and I will one thing I will say about him is like when he was on SNL and stuff, I he was someone immediately. I was like, oh, I, I get that. he's someone that like has, you know, when they're always talking about like the it factor and like you just can't put your finger on what the he has like a thing like when you he, he just has like a presence. You know? And I'm very like I feel like I'm good at, you know seeing someone who has like a very good good presence in pop culture i'm obsessed with pop culture too so like i i'm less of you know some people are like i love that actor and they're the great and they're so talented at this i'm more fascinated by people who like maybe don't even seem like that talented not that they're not talented but their talent is more like just them something from them do you know what i mean like there's some people who are famous who are like they're not the greatest actors. They're not even the best at what they're doing. Like, I don't think Pete Davidson's like the best comedian. I, not even, I mean, he's good, but he does have a thing that a lot of comedians don't have. He just has, do you know, it, is this like making any sense? He just, he has that star thing. I don't know. You can't really say it. Yeah. Um, he's got big thing energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember what, seeing yeah, maybe that's he, what's steeping in. I remember seeing when he was like 16 and like, uh, I was lost like, I'm like, who is this kid? And like, because he sounds like he was 40. He, he was 16, but he sounded like a 40 year old construction worker from Staten Island. And like, oh, he's yeah. 16. I'm like, that that's I mean, he looks 16, but he doesn't sound 16. So that's always uh, yeah. the thing that I thought really kind of made him. Yeah. And he was, getting, you know, but I definitely wasn't like, oh, this guy's going to become like this guy's going to be dating Kim Kardashian <laughs> in five years. And like, <laughs> that's going to be a normal thing um, and probably breaking up with her. That's the most uh, hilarious part. Um Exactly. So anyway, enough about Pete Davidson. But, yeah. um, <laughs> all right, Glad so, to be here uh, on the Pete Davidson Hour. Thanks for having me. Yeah. <laughs> they probably could do that. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we have to wrap this up. But um, yeah, I you know you should come on again because there's actually like I had all these things I was going to ask you. Well, ask one to, more question. But, um, you have time for one yeah, more question. I'll happily return, but also I'll happily answer. I well, I mean, there was just a lot. Of, I was going to ask you. So like, you know. Your comedy is, you know, obviously, you know, it's very intellectual and you're very into like wordplay. And did you, you know, you started out in Boston, right? I did. So what was, 
was that a struggle at all for like certain kind? What what was it like starting to do comedy there when you were kind of maybe a more not that everyone there's like an idiot, but you know what I mean? Like there'd be certain <laughs> rooms that maybe like meat meatheads. I mean, I, I think I feel like I've done rooms on the road and stuff where like, and I'm not really, you know, not that I'm, I think I'm smart and I have smart jokes, but I'll do jokes and I'm like, oh, this is just too much for the crowd because I'm talking about like reading. So what have, have you experienced that a lot or what? Yeah, 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 you just figure out, be like, you know, reading, like, like a menu. You, you know, you have to look at a menu sometimes, you know, you know, like when you have to figure out which flight you're getting on. Um, well, you just strike me as someone that like ha- you, do you. What is your IQ? Do you have a ho- really high IQ? I know it's like a weird question. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, okay. I did well in school, if that uh, if that helps you. But I'll say this, that uh, two things. First, Boston, I mean, is not a monolith. In fact, and it's not just a binary either, but like I started at the comedy studio in Harvard Square where like at the time, like uh, Brendan Small and uh, the Walsh brothers and Eugene Merman was like they they were like that the the guys there uh, at the time who were like, you know, really uh, getting a lot of spots and rising and like, you know, people were paying attention to and eventually, you know, got to start making TV and being on yeah. Conan and like Conan, uh, you know, Brian Kiley was a Conan writer who was also had started out there and like uh, Conan's like uh, producers would come every year for a certain time and like do auditions and they would be like, oh, yeah, these are like because Boston was a yeah. great, you know, had a history of great joke writing and obviously like you know dane cook's from boston bill burr's from boston and they're not like one-liner guys but you know stephen wright and wendy liebman yeah and, that's true and, actually i guess and, there and, are yeah and even like eugene merman especially when he was kind of you know in new york coming up he was you know kind of the early parts of the uh, alt scene and you know not that he was like super intellectual but his, his comedy was different and yeah but really heavy. some of the greatest comics have come out of boston it is like really oh. It's I mean, fantastic. You look at the list, Thank you yeah. so much. That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> You're and, included. You're included in the yeah, list. W- what I'm saying, I I included myself already. You don't even understand. <laughs> uh, but so there was. I remember talking to Brian Kiley once about how, like, because you're right that there is also there's so there's the comedy studio, which was right across the street from Harvard and then, you know, right near MIT. And there's like a ton of students in Boston. So there is there was an audience for Mm. intellectual like comedy nerds. Uh, And then also it was a great place to start because, you know, across the river, like downtown, you know, Faneuil Hall, Boston, there was the comedy connection. And Brian Kiley told me he's like, whenever I have a joke that does well at the comedy studio and the comedy connection i'm like i know that's a good joke because like at the comedy connection it could be just like uh people who don't even speak english who came in from a hostel that tuesday night or it could be people who are just you know the equivalent of being barked in like or it's a tourist area it's just Mm -hmm. tourists or or it's you know like the people uh that you know the extras from goodwill hunting you know south boston there (laughs) there is like you know a bunch of you know a range of uh, diverse classes and races and you know it's not that they're all like every Everywhere, but you could definitely perform in many di- in front of many different kinds of audiences. And I definitely didn't do well in front of every in front of you know almost any audience in the beginning. But when did you I start like that, in Boston? Like two thousand two ish, I okay. would say. I did for, perform musical comedy for the first time in nineteen late nineteen ninety nine at the comedy studio. I was pursuing music in my it was like my senior year of college. Maybe it was maybe two thousand. It was 99, 99, 2000 was my senior year of college. And so I was mainly pursuing music and I had some funny songs. And so I played them at the comedy studio 
And then, but I only got on there and I was mostly performing at music open mics and stuff, but I would get up at the comedy studio like a couple times a year. He would just have me on and I'd bring some friends and be fun. But 2002 is when I started really writing jokes, pursuing comedy, going to open mics and, you know, failing a ton, you know, by the metrics of like people laughing at most of the things that I said, which they did not do. But I found like both, I I never thought about it like this. I always thought like, the, the way that I am and like a lot of the things that I, I'm interested in, like, you know, I would talk about uh, being a vegan. I would talk about like not wanting kids. I would talk about eventually like, uh, you know, at, at one point being an atheist, at another point being like, uh, you know, sort of spiritually psychedelic or psychedelically spiritual. Like uh, at one point I would, t- would talk about like open relationships. And I was doing all these uh, all these things that at the time uh were like you know, non-normative, you know, that most people, most people wanted kids, wanted, you know, believed in <laughs> yeah. whatever, believed everything different. And so for me, I felt like I had to individually like make all the jokes that much better to even like, I would start out, you know, a joke about being vegan, like I'm vegan. Are there any other douchebags here? And people would be like, <laughs> okay, good. He knows, yeah, he knows that. that's what we think of him. Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. And so I feel like, and it wasn't just as simple as like, there's a trick that I could do every time. I just, if I really wanted to express what I believed in and people didn't believe the same thing, then, which is fine. It's good that not everybody believes the exact same thing, but to, you know, have, have people be open enough to receive the the joke and the ideas that I was talking about. I had to craft it, uh, that all that more meticulously. And so I feel like that was happening on a personal level. And then on a, a larger, like, you know, societal level, like, I, I was like, oh yeah, I could do some of my jokes and not even have to change any, not have to figure anything out. Just be like, whatever in front of this audience, this audience of like students at Brown university or whatever, and then tell those same jokes. I'm like, I have an hour of comedy that I could do at this university and then take that hour to, you know, the, the comedy connection in Faneuil hall and be like, uh, that hour is three minutes long. And okay, well, <laughs> yeah. now now let's work on the uh, next three minutes. Oh, you just got to add a bunch of go socks, and that'll get get you to the <laughs> ten, ten minutes. Um, I mean, but that uh, is, that's, a, that's a real question because I always think there's really funny comics come out of. You're from that area, Boston. Area? I grew up in New Jersey. I just went up there for school. Oh, okay. What makes that area? I, I mean, but you lived there for a while. Like, why are people funny? I feel I, I always try to put my finger on it. I don't know why. It just seems like there's uh, a lot of great. Yeah, something about the you area know, though. Something in the there is there, there's something about it. I'll I'll give you the answer that uh, I heard. I once heard the Dalai Lama uh, <laughs> give this answer to a question that he was asked. He said, "That is a very good question, and the answer is simple. I don't know." <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, truly, I think it could be the fact that there are so many. Like it's a small area, but like with a lot of different sub communities of you know like different kinds of people that you know you like New York as well, you know, like you, you have everything all around you in a very smushed together, limited area. And so you get to potentially, if your eyes are open to it, you learn a lot from the world around you by observing and listening to uh, people in situations who are near you, but not the exact same as you. And the fact that there's, you know, so many schools up there, like so many people, like it's a city, I think one quarter of the population of the city at a given time I heard is 
students that it's just like, you know, a million people and a quarter million of them are students. And so it's just like continual growth and learning and education and just, you know, people being open to, you know, uh, finding out what's going on in life and the universe and communicating that. So uh, hmm, that's uh, interesting. Something in the water. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. And smart short those answer. Kids, those are kids are going yeah. to good school, so they're not dummies. So it's good to perform in front of crowds like that. Yeah, of um, that dirty water. Yeah, that. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, and then just another thing I was gonna. So you moved to New York in two thousand eight, right? Is that that's right around that time? 100%. And then what was your? So what was the first thing you did? You like your first big thing? Like maybe you thought it was like a break. Was did it happen here? Did you move here and then like? Uh, was it like I, the Comedy Central thing? It was in, in 2007, before I moved from Boston, they did, you know, used to be the Laugh Riots, uh, the competition yeah. that in 2007, when I did it, it was called the Open Mic Fights. Right. And so there was like, I think, eight of us in Boston and there were like nine cities where they each did it. And I think I came in second. And actually, the guy who came in first was a guy named Pat Bacuzzi, who doesn't do comedy anymore. And I had I saw I hadn't seen him in 15 years until two days ago or three really? days ago when he was officiating the wedding of a, a mutual friend in Boston. And we we're wow. just, hey, this guy, what have you been up to for 15 years? Uh, but he was super funny. Uh, he won and I came in second. But then in that competition, uh, everyone who came in second in all the nine cities, there were three wild card spots. And I got the wild card spot and uh, beating out uh, Mike Vecchione and whoever heard from him after that. Did you uh, Did you have to go after that to the, the L.A. finals? I did. I went out to the L.A. finals. I did. I didn't win. I didn't place. But I think of the 12 of us that were out there, I think. If not all of us, I think maybe all of us, but most of us got to be on Comedy Central's Live at Gotham the following season. Right. So I think I got that call in like late 2007. I recorded it uh, in like March of and then it came out in June of 2008. And then I did move to New York. I mean, coincidentally, I was already I was planning to move at some point, but I moved in that sum, summer of 2008 to New York, having that that fresh yeah. uh, first TV credit that I get to New York and I'm like, I was on this. And then they're like, yeah, we've got, there's been so many seasons of <laughs> Live at Gotham and Premium Blend that yeah. they're like, yeah, that, that and uh, a, a, an audition will, how do I get an audition? Like, you don't. Like, yeah. you know, it would be years yeah. before I was passed at, you know, the comic strip, the, the seller, whatever it might be. Um, but then I, I did do a few competitions that first year that I was in New York that went pretty well. And I did start working at Caroline's pretty, uh, regularly, and yeah. I don't work there anymore. Yeah. And uh, look I'm, what happened. <laughs> yeah. I just got Wait, passed there. Yeah, I got. I got seven <laughs> spots there next month. That in Dangerfield. I'm, yeah. Whether they, it's a little harder to get, just get into the physically into. The no, place, well, you know what they're going to be now, right? You know what they're they're turning into, right? Uh, no, I don't. Ping oh, you right? like this ping? A big ping pong place. Wow, man! Yeah. You know that there's this old there's this old story uh, of a Chinese farmer that uh, <laughs> his he had a horse that ran away, and they were like, "Bad news, right, guy?" And he's like, "Maybe yes, maybe no." And then the next day, the horse comes back and brings other horses with it, like wild horses. And they're like, "Wow, you've got a bunch of horses now. That's great news." He's like, "Maybe yes, maybe no." Then his son the next day is trying to tame one of the horses, gets thrown and breaks his leg. They're like, "Oh, broken leg on your son. Bad news." He's like, "Maybe yes, maybe no." 
Next day, the army comes to town, drafts every able-bodied male, and they're like, oh, your son didn't have to get drafted. Great news. He's like, maybe yes, maybe no. And I was like, oh, man, I thought the Carolines closing was bad news. Like, maybe yes, maybe no. Ping pong, my dream, my (laughs) calling. I'm there. In that story, that was a really big week for that guy. Oh, a lot of stuff happened. (laughs) Horses, and then the horses came back, and then the exactly. um, Yeah, I love that parable. Yeah, the sometimes it's it's described as him saying, "Yeah, maybe or so." Yeah, Um, but yeah, that's the whole. um, You know um, what? What is it like? I forgot what it is. Like you know, wait a while. That I'm not saying it right, but you know the whole thing. What what is it? The official Heinz ketchup. Good things come to those who wait. You leave your. Well, it's kind of like uh, if things aren't going the way you want, just like wait, because it's just sort. You know, I think people get caught up in you know, especially now. That's like uh, you know, I think the main problem in our culture now is everyone immediately wants a remedy for everything. Like I don't feel good. I I I want this. I I want this right now. But (laughs) the whole parable of just you know you know what's really funny about that ping pong that ping pong place is usually these bars or some of these places when they if they don't start doing well you know what they bring in stand-up comedy so wouldn't it be funny uh, if they do a comedy show i think like, that's that's definitely that's on the horizon so <laughs> that's that's you great. know that's gonna and, happen eric uh if i may you should say that <laughs> uh all right well that's a, we brought it full circle um We'll end on that. Thanks a lot. Um, oh, of course. I want to thank Mike Kaplan for coming on. Um, Go ahead. And uh, thank you. Yeah, you got thank anything you. to plug? That, anything yeah. to plug? Check out his podcast, oh. I know, Broccoli and Ice Cream. And go yeah, ahead. dude, check out my episode with Tom and and there are other ones as well. Uh, I've got another podcast called The Faucet, which is just like it's just like this, except with only me and not you. And <laughs> uh, I pretty much Mike Kaplan spelled the weird way I spell it everywhere at. M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N, my website, all the social media. And uh, you mentioned at the top of the show, my my latest album is called AKA. And I'm, you know, touring as uh, as much as possible. Hopefully later this year, I don't know exactly when, I should have a new Dry Bar comedy special coming out oh, that I recorded uh, a little over oh, a year ago. Oh, you already recorded it? Oh, oh cool. yeah. Recorded yeah. it in late 2021. And, have uh, you they... done, did you do another one before that? You said it nope, was your... this is my oh, number okay. one premiere debut it's a lot of views those things get a lot of views those are pretty that's good what, that's what they say I mean that's what and I that's, see you can't, you can't curse and you can't say anything really that's dirty that's correct it is, uh, it is one it is, there are very strict parameters for so I went back you know to prepare for it through my uh, I had I think at that point five albums of comedy that I had released you know that was about five hours worth my girlfriend and I were on a road trip we listened to all of my albums and uh, took notes and I think we came up with about one hour of jokes that could uh, be said under under those parameters <laughs> and then I they only needed a half hour so I uh, I oh, can do okay. another one I, yeah, can do I, tomorrow. I knew a comic who did it and he, he was shocked at like what what they said crossed the line one of the things was he was making fun of his wife and they're like you you can't you can't do that that's crossing the line really Not, nothing sexual it's just you know the ru- but you know it's fun to I apply get- they were like hey no talking that's uh, <laughs> you know, that really makes everyone <laughs> that's what it's going to be like in five years comedy. Uh, hey no talking don't say oh things. yeah it's uh you check out my new mime bar special yeah people, <laughs> people are really yeah, I have a lot of uh, uh, no-liners. <laughs> liners, sorry. Tom, that's good. I yeah, like it. I should say that. Okay. All right. Well, Mike Kaplan, uh, 
Check out his podcast. Check out his albums and uh, his special and all that stuff. And Thank uh, you. thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll talk to you I, later. Thanks for super tuning in. Appreciate it. Same to hey. you.